but regardless, I think everyone should be using some form of berberine. It's, it's the most potent anti-aging compound we have. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. I have a very special guest on today's episode of the High Performance Health Podcast. I'm joined by Sean Wells, who is the world's leading ingredientologist. He has formulated over 500 supplements, food, beverages and cosmeceuticals and patented 10 novel ingredients and literally is the scientist of ingredients. He was formerly a chief clinical dietitian with over a decade of clinical experience and he has counseled thousands of people on natural health solutions such as keto, paleo, fasting and various supplements. Sean has also personally overcome various health issues, including Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, depression, insomnia, obesity, and a pituitary tumor. And he shares much of the information as to how he's done this on this week's podcast episode. As a world-renowned thought leader on mitochondrial health, Sean has been paid to speak on five different continents. His insights have been prominently featured in documentaries, nationally syndicated radio programs, and regularly on morning television across the US. Sean's expertise can help any health-conscious individual to better manage stress and experience higher performance and more energy through utilizing his practical, holistic solutions. And he dives into these in today's episode. So let me introduce you now to Sean. So I'm here today with Dr. Sean Wells. Um, Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here on the High Performance Health Podcast. Thank you for having me on. Um, So if we can just start sort of introducing yourself, um, a little bit of your background. I know that you're an ingredient scientist, a biochemist, a dietitian, and you've been termed the world's greatest formulator. But can you, you've had a a lot of health issues yourself as well. Can you give us a bit more background on that? Uh, Well, yes, I grew up uh, bullied and coming from a very chaotic home and and going to school where I was... uh, made fun of quite often because of my weight. Uh, you know, I was one of those quiet, creative kids and, and I just got made fun of a lot. And uh, that made for a difficult childhood. I think I was very stressed out. My, my brothers uh, ran away uh, at an early age and it was just difficult whether I was in the house or, or at school. And um, that led to I think a lot of autoimmune issues. I ended up developing Epstein-Barr virus and Hashimoto's chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. I worked hard at school and um, I'm one of those people that just works 80 hours a week. And I think I can grind myself down and, uh, you know, it's never good enough. I can be a, a workaholic. And that's something I battled most of my life as well. And I think getting that sick and not being able to to get out of bed and feeling inflamed every day and feeling like your body's crashing. And literally, I was contemplating suicide um, on a daily basis, just not knowing if I could ever be a productive human being, despite all the schooling and the hard work and 
and the, the trauma that I've been through. Um, and it, and it was really the ketogenic diet that I kind of stumbled into when I was staying at home and I couldn't even finish my masters. I did eventually after I got better, but it was that ketogenic diet that over 20 years ago, <laughs> that was my solution. It ended up being when I kind of went whole food and keto, uh, it really put some things together for me where that inflammation and pain went away. And, um, and that was my solution. And back then, I mean, almost no one was doing the ketogenic diet. And, uh, you know, there was just small little pockets of people online that I would find. And there wasn't a lot of scientific data about it quite yet, but it worked dramatically for me. Um, and really, it was like my way back to school, back to life. And, uh, and I've been doing it ever since. And what did you, it's an amazing story, completely inspiring. What did you find were, when you started on the ketogenic diet and obviously incorporating more of the whole foods, what was the first thing that began to turn around for you? Was it the, the mood um, and kind of the depression or was it just all over? Because obviously you get a very inflamed black brain in that state. And as someone who has struggled myself with clinical depression for over 10 years, it's completely debilitating. And and, and not wanting or not being able to get out of bed. I, I don't know about you, but I found that depression, while a lot of people associate it with something mental, it becomes eminently physical and feels very, very physical. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And then when you seek out like pain medications or some of these things, they end up exacerbating it. If you like miss, you know, a, a dose, then like you, you get 10 times worse pain and you become more sensitive to pain and it's just a downward spiral. And, and you're absolutely right. That's exactly how I felt, um, that it wasn't just mental and, and people tell you that, oh, chronic fatigue syndrome and, and depression and, and inflammation. And, you know, they, they think just, just, you know, snap out of it. And it's not that easy. It's, it was horrible pain that I was dealing with. And I'm someone that's always been driven. Working was never hard for me. And that was very frustrating. Like you're saying, when people are telling me it's all in my head and I've someone, I'm someone that's used my head to be quite driven my whole life and accomplished so many things. And here I was crippled. Um, and, and like I said, the, the pain and inflammation was, was literally so bad. It felt so debilitating and that brain fog, like you're talking about, I couldn't think anymore. And that was like, obviously, uh, a strength for me was being cerebral. And that's why I felt like if I'm going to be one tenth of myself for the rest of my life, I might as well end my life because I can't live in this kind of, uh, pain and, and crippling, debilitating, uh, depression for the rest of my life. And so, absolutely uh the diet was a way out for me and and cleaning up uh, and getting the whole foods and, and using the ketogenic diet like it just gave me energy that i didn't have before at first it cleared up that systemic inflammation and that uh, brain inflammation like you talked about and i felt like over time, I, I could get my way back into school, but I was also dealing with the Epstein-Barr component of it as well, which is also known as mono. And it's very common that about one third of people that get mono um, deal with chronic fatigue the rest of their life and fibromyalgia and, 
and that inflammation in the tissues. And it's not just in your head. It's, it's literally, a, you know, a pathogen you have to deal with for the rest of your life. I still get tested and I still have uh, high Epstein-Barr uh, levels. So, um, you know, it's something I have to deal with forever. And so I still push hard. I still travel the world. I still do all these things that you might see on social media or on YouTube or TV or documentaries or the things I do. But I crash sometimes still. If I have too much stress and I push too hard and I take a flight through the night and I'm in another country, sometimes I, you know, I have to stay in my hotel room for a day and just recover. And there's certain supplements I take and things that I do to just try and bounce back. But I'm, I'm good most of the time now, but it's not, it's not a permanent fix and it's not easy. No, and it sounds like you have to work hard, well, way harder than a lot of people. Um, to keep it that way. Do you, um, in terms of, I've, I've watched quite a few interviews with you and mm-hmm. I know that like you make it simple for people. That's what I love. And, and you mentioned um, that everybody needs to start first with whole foods. Um, yeah. Keto is great, but we've got to get, you know, away from the processed food first. Just in terms of your own journey, did you start with whole foods and then kind of turn into turn it into a more of a ketogenic diet? Can you kind of just describe, because I know lots of people that are listening that, that struggle with some of those conditions, not all that you've mentioned. Um, what, what have you found to be most helpful there? Well, the most important diet is one that you'll stick to. I mean, that's what matters most. And so the keto diet, I think, can be a little overwhelming for people. It's a huge shift. And I don't want to promote something that's like an eight to 12 week crash type of thing. I would rather promote something that's a healthy lifestyle. And keto, I tend to not think so much of as a diet, but an alternate fuel source that if we went back in time to paleo days, that we would have been metabolically flexible and we would have been tapping into glucose, tapping into ketones because there was times through the winter, we might have only been able to eat animals. There was times we might go days without eating, fasting slash starving, uh, where we would tap into ketones. A lot of these carbohydrates would be uh, low glycemic, high fiber, high resistant starch carbohydrates that would promote ketones. Um, you know, and and certainly glycogen depletion of just manual labor and and trying to chase down a kill. All these things would have led to us being very metabolically flexible and probably 50% of our fuel would have been ketones. Now we're the opposite where we're eating six times a day. We have high glycemic carbohydrates. We never fast. Uh, We don't do this glycogen depleting exercise or survival and we don't use ketones anymore. So to me, it's just an alternate fuel source that's, that's a healthy one to have. And I think everyone should tap into, but the easiest path where you need to start is start where you're at. And that's like, just change some simple things going from ultra processed foods that are engineered to override satiety, meaning fullness, literally engineered this way. Mm. Like they make sodas so that they have flavor and sweetness up front but nothing in back. So you feel like you have to keep drinking it to get the flavor. I mean, it's literally made like this. So you consume these things and you are addicted to them. 
I mean, think about when you walk into a, a gas station convenience store and you look around and everything is bright colors and labels and you look at the, the cooler with, you know, the refrigerator and it has, you know, the Gatorades and the monsters and everything's like literally to attract your eye, make you addicted. What's up by the register? All the candies. It's the store of addiction, mm. right? Mm. And so it's a battle. And if you can just work against that battle and get back to whole foods, you will feel full again. You won't feel as tired. You'll feel uh, like someone's given you your life back. You won't feel like, like owned by food. You feel like you'll uh, live to or eat to live rather than, than live to eat. So um, it's a very different thing. So I think starting there is, is really important and realizing how addicted you are to those serotonin and dopamine hits of ultra processed food and just going whole food like we're meant to have and you'll feel full and you can eat fruits and vegetables and anything like you know you don't have to you know get complicated just start eating whole food and then i like to start cutting out along with that the, the processed sugar i mean certainly that is a factor as well and then if you can start doing some exercise you know, two to three days a week, maybe um, do some resistance exercise with, with weights. And then I like after, after a meal, postperandial stroll, as they call it, like do 10 minutes of walking. 10 minutes, like, and it, and it really improves your blood glucose and insulin sensitivity. And then the last thing is start playing around with some intermittent fasting. You don't have to do extended fasts. I'm actually about 36 hours into a fast right now of a 72 hour fast. Um, but just starting with like 12 hours and 12 hours and then maybe moving to 16 and eight, but even a 12 and 12 will stop you from snacking mm -hmm. and, you know, extra meals and, and late night things. So, you know, it's also good to uh, sync up with your circadian rhythm. If you read Dr. Sachin Panda's data, that you eat during the daylight hours and you don't eat when it's dark. That actually really messes with your circadian rhythm. So those are the things like I would get in place first and then look into keto. If you can get all those going, those healthy behaviors, then you can work on this idea of, you know, this more advanced diet technique and you can play around with it and you can see okay does carbohydrate backloading work for me cyclical keto targeted keto you know all these different ways to um, explore ketones as a fuel but i definitely believe it's advantageous especially if you're metabolically damaged metabolically dysfunctional you have insulin uh sensitivity issues you have uh, the whole host of things that come with elevated, chronically elevated blood glucose, that keto can be a massive tool for that. Um, definitely lowering that systemic inflammation and, and improving, um, you know, energy. You can be in what's called insufficient cellular energy states because you're glucose intolerant. And that can create inflammation and create um, the low energy and create the the inflamed tissues like fibromyalgia, the painful tissues. So when you, when you lack that cellular energy, chronically 
you can run into a lot of dysfunction in the body. Yeah, sure. And what have you found in terms of as well as part of that? Um, I always think that sugar is an issue, but also so are fats. So like if people are eating pro-inflammatory fats, that's kind of exacerbating that inflammatory state further. And I know, you know, by removing the processed foods, like the French fries, the potato chips, people are already removing a chunk of it. But then if they're still cooking with highly processed oils at home, um, then, then they're still kind of inflaming their body. Are you, um, in terms of oils and things, I'm pretty careful about what temperatures I heat them to as well and which ones I use. Um, are there certain fats that you stick to on your keto diet? Yes, that is a phenomenal point, like a really, really great one. First off, like going on fats are bad. Clearly, we know that's not the case anymore. And pretty much all the, the regulatory bodies, the uh, American Medical Association, the American Nutrition and Dietetics, a lot of them have a reversed path on that. And saturated fat can be quite healthy for you. A lot of these studies were based on um, one giving carbohydrate as high glycemic carbohydrate like corn syrup or high fructose corn syrup, along with, as you stated, these high inflammatory vegetable oils that were given to these mice. And then they say, fat is bad. Of course, fat is bad when given with, one, you're giving a pro-inflammatory fat, but two, and more importantly, you're giving it with high glycemic carbohydrates, and that is literally uh, creating a scenario where you're promoting uh, lipogenesis and the storage of fat versus lipolysis and the breakdown of fat because insulin and glucose is high. And you don't see that ever in nature. Like no animals are eating high glycemic carbohydrate along with fats. Usually it's protein and fat or just fat, but it's not like this high glycemic fat and, and or sorry, high glycemic carbs and fat happen in nature at the same time. There's only one case that I know of, and it's a bear eats fatty fish and berries before hibernation when it gains a lot of fat for hibernating. And so that tells you that's not a good recipe. But to your point, you can do something like dirty keto or lazy keto where you might have processed foods and, and these inflammatory oils and artificial sweeteners and some of these things. But I love how now it's like the, the keto community has embraced paleo more and it's more about whole food and eating clean and certainly getting rid of these pro-inflammatory processed oils like canola oil, for example, that is so processed under high heat that it's brown and rancid, and they add deodorizers and bleaching agents so that it doesn't smell and it doesn't look bad. And, and we're using these kinds of things, and it's terrible for our health. So I agree with you. Like I would you know, use more of a, a saturated fat if I was going to do high heat cooking. I use things like... Um, the monounsaturated fats more like, you know, I would rather rat, uh, add olive oil to my salad than cook with it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so you're exactly right. Mm. And I think you more, the more you do this, what I've noticed as well is that the more that then you notice when you go off track and it's almost like you can feel it in your body. I was posting on, on Instagram at the weekend, you know, we've been out to eat as a family in an, in an Italian and I really felt like I had a food hangover the next day and it lasted a good kind of 24 hours. And I just felt 
foggy, kind of quite low, kind of just very sort of yuck and just that inertia of not really being able to get going. Um, and I think it, it does make a difference. But I think often when people are eating so much of the, the bad fats and the bad processed foods, they almost can't see the difference, right? Because there isn't, there isn't kind of night and day to the shade um, to look at it. Um, that's, that's super helpful, everything that you've shared there. Do you personally now, do you monitor to make sure that you're in ketosis or where, where are you with it at the moment? I really don't do that too much. I have all the devices. I have a, a, a blood ke uh, ketone meter, a glucometer, and I also have the, some of the ones that you can do with breath acetone and the urine strips and all that kind of stuff. But I'm 20 years into this now, so I just, I kind of feel my way through it. And for example, like I, I not only have done like a lot of cyclical and targeted ketogenic experiments, I'm also fasting right now. And I know what deep ketosis feels like. I know what my body feels like when I'm on it. So uh, for me, it's pretty easy to know when I'm in ketosis and not because I've been doing it so long. And I also, you know, because I am metabolically flexible and, and have so much experience, I also drop in quicker. Like I can drop out quickly, but also drop back in quickly. It doesn't take me three days anymore. I've upregulated these uh, MCT transporters uh, in my body. So it might take, you know, a day, a day and a half for me to get back into ketosis after I've, I've got out. Cool. And so in terms of the fast, because obviously you're in the middle of one now, which is great. It's a great time that we're recording this together. Um, you're 36 hours in. What are you, is it water only or are you having anything like bone broth or anything during that period? It's different for me at different times. Like I, I've experimented quite a bit with that as well. Um, I do them fairly often, uh, maybe like once a month. I'm doing an extended fast. I do intermittent fasting um, day to day. But once a month, I'll do the extended fast. And sometimes I do it more for the autophagy aspect where it's very clean, where it's just um, water and, and some salt. Uh, it's pretty simple like that. Um, but then other times I'm just doing it for uh, to kind of reduce calories. And, and I like having uh, some decaffeinated coffee or tea I like having bone broth, like you're saying, um, you know, something like that. Like, and for me, that works as well, too. I just kind of, you know, I, I'm not a, I don't know, a Nazi about it where like some people are like, you broke your fast. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll tell you this, like, if you are someone that, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of people on fasting and if you're someone that's done uh, 24 hours of a fast and you've never gotten to 36 and you need some bone broth or tea or coffee or something to get through that even if it's bulletproof coffee or whatever you're adding fat to it or whatever it is mcp that's okay like to me it's like it's a bigger deal that like you went a longer period of time because that's challenging without eating food mm. and you know all these people that say like you broke your fast and you broke the rules. There are no rules. Like this is, this is you exploring your health and your body and seeing what works for you. And I think it's very difficult to go 36 hours if you've never done that. Like that's a huge deal or 24 hours. That's a huge deal. I have had people like 
you know, say, I only made it 24 hours. And then I asked him like, well, how far have you gone before? Like, I've never done this before. I'm like, that's a huge deal. Yes, yeah, it's a really big deal like, because food does have power over us. And, and we're, you know, cued to eat. Not only do we have these engineered foods that we're, that we're battling every day, but we're also battling these cues that we need to eat three times a day with our friends, with our family. Uh, all the commercials that you see, the things on Instagram are all food. Like you're just battling this all day long and it takes a lot of discipline. Um, I love doing the challenges sometimes on my social media where everyone does it together and we use this life app and they, you know, they encourage each other and it makes it exciting. And, and that's a great tool for people that are newer to it. Um, because it's difficult. I think, you know, 99% of people think it's impossible. When I've talked to them about, you know, going two, three, four, five days without eating, they're like, that's, that's impossible. I, there's no way I could do that. And that's why I love doing fasting. Not only is there the health aspect and, you know, certainly you can lean up and lose some weight if that's an issue, but it's incredible also that you create this discipline that you didn't know you have that now can uh, come out in a variety of ways in your life. Like where, you know, someone pressures you to, you know, go out to the club and, you know, or, or go buy this thing. And you're like, I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. Like it gives you more strength. I, I feel like for your entire life, if you can do fasting. Cause it may, it helps build that resilience, doesn't it? And yes. You can transfer that across. Exactly. Yeah, yeah for sure. Static load. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And what about like, I'm curious here as well, because I know like a big part of metabolic flexibility is, as you've already mentioned, maintaining muscle mass and focusing on those strength workouts. How have you managed that when you're, you know, struggling with things like fibromyalgia? Obviously, the, the nutritional impact is going to lower that inflammation. But even so, it's still going to be a struggle. Can you explain how people can kind of approach that? It's tough. Um, you know, you have to go at it a little slower than some people that might go all in and, you know, have like a, a torturing workout. Uh, like I had to kind of work up to it and feel my way through it because some exercise I found reduces my inflammation and improves my immunity. But if I push too hard, then, you know, it'll tank my immunity and I'll feel my inflammation go up. So I try and do now, I do regular workouts and they're very difficult workouts, but I don't usually go more than 45 minutes. I'll do high intensity interval training. I'll push very hard. And then I also do something for me that works is a cold shower after um, that really reduces my systemic inflammation. Some people might think that that would get in the way potentially of of muscle gains if you're doing that right around your workout. But for me, it kind of puts my inflammation in check more to a normal level. And I've still made strength gains, hypertrophy gains um, with that. But I feel like the inflammation just flush out of my body when I do that cold shower. And it's, I'll literally feel like super alert uh, for like the next four hours and it's great. Yeah, cold showering is amazing, isn't mm -hmm. it? And I think if people can build slowly, if they're not used to it, it did, but the benefits, as you say, are just incredible. Um, yeah. Have you? I'm curious whether you, how much you've used things like breath work to enhance your results as well. Have you kind of played around with that quite a bit? I have. I, I got to do uh, some Wim Hof 
uh, work in Iceland a few years ago, and that was absolutely amazing for me. I went into the ice cold water, and I and I've loved that ever since too. I'll do uh, I'll jump in those chest freezers sometimes with you know filled up with ice, and it's just great. Like I I know some people think that's extreme, and they think I could never do that, but again. If you feel the difference, it's incredible. Like you will feel more alert, more energized than you have probably at any point in your life. Like, and if you have like two or three hours of sleep, you had a bad night, you know, the old thing about having a cold shower, or you're hungover having a cold shower, it works. Mm-hmm. It's not just this thing, and you know, that's funny in movies, it really works. So I love that. And then adding the breathing to it, um, is super impactful. Um, I was shocked when I when I did some of the Wim Hof breathing and the hyperventilation stuff that I literally could hold my breath for five minutes, and it's something I had never worked on. Mm-hmm. But if you if you expel enough CO two, it's crazy that like you can go from like a minute, a minute and a half to five minutes, like a five minute hold without ever working on breath. It's it's amazing and when you can slow your body down like that and get into that sympathetic nervous system state it's uh it's a game changer it's an absolute game changer for your stress for your mood like we were just talking about that resilience the key to resilience is this allostatic load bucket it's the bucket that you have for stress and whether it's you stress which is good stress or distress your body isn't really aware of the type of stress. It's just stress. And you only have so much that can go into the bucket. But the more you do this resilience type of training with breath work and exposure to cold and exercise and red lights and meditating and all this kind of stuff, you can grow that bucket so that you have a greater capacity to deal with stress and you are more resilient. And your body uh, doesn't know whether it's mental stress or physiologic stress but when you work on uh stoicism let's say the the obstacle is the way kind of thinking you can improve your physical health and when you work on you know meditation and breathing you can improve your mental health and and it works both ways so it's it's really incredible when you when you go down this path of, of resiliency and stoicism as a mindset uh, that you can achieve so much more. And that's been a key for me. That has, do you know, that's, it's funny you say that because that has been key for me. And I think when you were talking earlier about how you used to do like 80 hour weeks and, and initially, and then when you were struggling to kind of get out of bed, a similar thing happened to me because I was a corporate lawyer and working ridiculously hard and long hours. And then when the depression hit and I was having, I went through so many therapists and having CBT, for example, without all the other components that you're talking about there, it just doesn't work. Because I remember the, the psychologist saying to me, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. And it's like, hang on a minute. It takes my son two and a half hours to get mummy out of bed, right? Literally yanking me out. I'm kind of dead to the world. And the most I can do is achieve a school run. And you're telling me that I'm doing too much. That to me, I was in the same position as you. It's like, how can I go on if suddenly my life has become that this is now an achievement? And and it's upsetting, isn't it? Because actually that makes you more depressed. Whereas all of those components you've talked about there, are the ones that have been really instrumental for me. And, and I think, as you say, you start with the basics, but then as you layer up, the gains just get bigger and bigger. Exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm so great to um, to hear that from you. I do want to dive into energy because this is obviously a big area of expertise for you and you have formulated so many products and also have um, so, secured so many patents. Mm -hmm. Can you give us, because we haven't got all day obviously, but what do you think are the ones for people who, but let's start with energy rather than kind of brain focus first, but for boosting overall energy, once you've got all these other basics into place, where should people start looking initially in terms of then layering in supplementary things? On what supplements they should take? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I don't actually use caffeine. Uh, I don't like uh, overstimulating. It works different for different people. I'm a slow metabolizer, so it doesn't work that great for me. But I love the idea of optimizing your body for energy versus pushing it for energy. Um, so it's kind of like the idea of like the stoicism and the resiliency that we talked about, like whether you're working on breath work and or mindset and all those different things. That's optimizing your body versus um, you know, doing a hundred miles an hour down the highway or, um, you know, listening to loud music or taking caffeine. Like those are like, um, you know, quick, quick hits to your body to get that adrenaline going, to get that dopamine going. But those aren't, uh, long-term ways of improving resiliency and optimizing your body. So I like the idea of using adaptogens. Mm -hmm. Uh, things like ashwagandha and rhodiola that really optimize you. Like if you're high or low in blood sugar, blood pressure, or you're too stimulated or you're, or you're foggy and tired, like they put you more in like a normalized area. And they're really the most legendary herbs in every culture. If you look in like South America, it's maca and in uh, Asia, it's ginseng and Russia, it's uh, rhodiola, and India, it's ashwagandha. You know, like every culture has this legendary herb, and it's typically the adaptogen because it does so much for your health. And I like using them and, and cycling to, you know, use different ones at different times. Uh, so that's a big part of, of this for me. I really like what we were talking about before, the intracellular energy uh, you know, working on the mitochondria specifically, which is that, that powerhouse that creates the ATP, the energy currency for our body. That's an area of focus that I think health and medicine will be going to in the next 10 years. The next keto is mito. Uh, that will be where we look because that cellular energy is everything for our health. And when there's mitochondrial dysfunction or there's not enough mitochondria, then you start running into that insufficient cellular energy state. In the brain, they call it brain energy gap with a lot of neurological diseases. And then you get glycation, blood sugar damage, and advanced glycation end products, which are called ages, which literally age your body. You get inflammation. You get oxidation, essentially rusting ourselves. Um, and then this leads to all the metabolic dysfunction in practically every disease state. And, and it's increased biological aging over chronological aging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it has to do with like sirtuin genes and telomere length and all that kind of stuff. Like this, 
the mitochondria is critical for your health and well-being. And it will be the focus of everything in the future, I believe. And just, just quickly, like you could, we could actually change the shape of medicine along these lines with just three easy labs. If we were looking at uh, hemoglobin A1C for blood sugar, if we were looking at CRP for inflammation, and we were looking at oxidized LDL for oxidation, we could tell the state of our mitochondria. We could tell how much cellular energy we have. We could also tell the chance for developing a number of diseases. We could tell your biological age versus your chronological age. We could track all this and see it ahead of time before we actually get into some of these uh, bad situations with cancer, with uh, coronary heart disease, with Parkinson's, with Alzheimer's, all these, these things that are metabolic diseases. So I like looking at those things. I like taking... Uh, exogenous ketones, especially if you're not uh, one uh, on a ketogenic diet or fasting, MCTs, in particular uh, C8 MCTs, which is caprylic acid. It's mm -hmm. the most ketogenic of all the MCTs. Um, doing uh, berberine or dihydroberberine. Uh, it's essentially a better form and more natural form of metformin, the glucose disposal agent that's been used for years in anti-aging. Uh, they've shown that two to two and a half years is very common to potentially extend your life. And pretty much no other drug that we've seen uh, has that kind of impact. So berberine and dihydroberberine are where I would go to get that in a natural form in a superior form. And the more- Can I ask you quickly there on that? Yeah. So on the berberine, because this is interesting. So I was diagnosed with PCOS originally. Oh, yes. Okay. Prescribed metformin. Yep. And it wasn't a massive surprise. That was in my 20s because um, there's a really strong family history of diabetes. My father's mm -hmm. Middle Eastern and chronic kidney disease. And I actually, for one, couldn't stomach metformin. It, I literally couldn't eat and it. it caused so many digestive problems. And that was the first foray for me as a lawyer of cleaning up my diet and actually making sure that I was controlling blood sugar. But berberine, um, berberine sounds exciting. Can you explain how someone, what kind of quantity do they need to sort of simulate that and the longevity effect that you get from metformin? So some people on berberine, about a third of people do get that same GI distress as metformin. Um, it's, not, it's not all people, but uh, it is about a third. And you take about 500 milligrams three times a day. Dihydroberberine, it's an active metabolite that I patented, um, is about five to six times more bioavailable. So you can take only about 150 milligrams twice a day. Uh, so it's a much lower dose. And because it's the active form that uh, your gut converts berberine to dihydroberberine uh, at the brush border, that you don't get the same GI distress. So not only do you get the bioavailability benefits, but you don't have the, the gastrointestinal distress. So that is the form I would recommend is, is dihydroberberine. Uh, but, but regardless, I think everyone should be using some form of berberine. It's, it's the most potent anti-aging compound we have. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And um, metformin also has issues with uh, lowering B12 levels and, um, and also has been recalled recently for being tainted. So 
I would definitely go the natural route. Um, metformin has been well established to help with anti-aging and uh, uh, a number of conditions that are related to blood glucose and metabolic dysfunction like PCOS, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, et cetera. So metformin is, is definitely where we uh, got this knowledge, but I think the evolved choice is the berberine and dihydroberberine. Okay, cool. So you mentioned that the exogenous ketones, particularly if you're not on a keto diet, the CAMCTs, the dihydroberberine, um, and I think you were going to go on to mention something else, and then I yep. sort of interrupted you. What were the other? Yep. Um, some things like the evidence isn't clear yet, but things that raise uh, NAD levels, the NAD to NADH ratio uh, in the in the Krebs cycle and the citric acid cycle, if you remember that little circle with all the ATP coming off of it and biology. Um, that actually improves mitochondrial health if you can skew things more to that NAD ratio. So we know that IV NAD works. That's a great way to do it. It's miserable for three or four hours. You don't feel great. You can get nauseous. Uh, you can have tingling, paresthesis. So that's kind of hit or miss. But the oral supplements like um, niogen, NAD, NADH, um, you know, don't really seem to have that great of data. Um, NMN um, seems to be a form that may help, uh, but nothing's quite as good as taking the uh, the IV. So that is one thing to look at, and and um, I'm looking for more data on NMN. Um, David Sinclair has done work there in anti-aging, and uh, that's a compound that I'm really interested in. So it's one to to experiment with. Um, I did say exogenous ketones. When you do take exogenous ketones, take RBHB or DBHB. That's the active isomer. It's about two to three times better. And actually the sodium salt is superior to all the other uh, elemental salts like magnesium, potassium, calcium. The sodium one is, is taken up best and shows the best plasma elevations in DHB. So look for RBHB sodium or DBHB sodium as the one to take. Um, beyond that, I like PQQ and CoQ10. Uh, those are both uh, compounds that improve uh, an aspect of the mitochondria with the electron transport chain. Really important aspect of, of energy production. And you can have dysfunction with uh, again, when you have um, these metabolic issues with uh, elevated levels of glucose, like glucose. So uh, it's part of like this, the secondary complex of the electron transport chain uh, becomes dysfunctional. And that's where like taking the ketones for some people that are, let's say, overweight, insulin resistant, all those kinds of things, they get that energy blast. Like when they go on keto or when they do fasting, they're like, whoa, where'd all this energy come from? This brain fog is lifted. A lot of that is because they're insulin resistant, uh, glucose intolerant, and now they're getting appropriate cellular energy and they feel so much different. And that was actually the what happened to me. That's kind of a technical explanation of the turnaround I felt uh, when I switched uh, to the ketogenic diet. Mm. And what levels are you looking at in terms of HbA1c um, that people should be kind of striving for? 
I think it might be different in the US as well. I think you might measure it slightly differently. Yeah, yeah. Some of those definitely like blood glucose is measured differently. Um, uh, for us, it's, you know, 5.5 would be ideal. I like, you know, maybe even below five. Um, for you, I'm not sure. I know with, with our blood glucose, you know, it's good to have like a, a resting uh, blood glucose kind of in that 60, 70, 80 range, um, you know, versus some people that can be uh, resting well above that in, in triple digits. But for you, it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I can I can correlate that and link to it in the uh, in the show notes. Um, you didn't mention resveratrol. What are your thoughts on on resveratrol? Uh, those are some interesting compounds. The the data just seems very equivocal. It seems very powerful for mice, but it doesn't seem to be as impactful for humans. So I just I don't have a great answer there. Like looking at some of those compounds like EGCG, quercetin, terastilbene, uh, resveratrol. I like them from the foods they come from. Um, because you get like a host of polyphenols, alcohol seems to improve the bioavailability. Uh, so like getting red wine, you know, one dry glass of red wine might be helpful. Uh, having some blueberries might be helpful, which has terastilbene. Having onions, uh, which has quercetin might be helpful. Um, green tea, which has EGCG. Some of these compounds, um, have great foods that they come from and other polyphenols present that can uh, help with anti-aging. So I would, in that case, I'm, I'm more of a, the food over the supplement kind of guy. Mm. A bit like that, I guess, with the um, situin enhancing compounds as well, right? So things mm -hmm. like celery and chili peppers and things like that. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, yeah exactly. And they're, they're great for longevity, but also metabolism. Right. Um, and um, when you go off track, so you've mentioned that when you're traveling and you find that that tiredness and that fatigue is setting, setting in, what's your key way of kind of getting back on track as quickly as you can? Fasting. Like fasting resets your circadian rhythm. Fasting gets you into ketosis. Fasting improves autophagy, increases growth hormone, lowers insulin. Um, you know, it's, it's just... Especially like they found like if you eat while you're on the plane, like that can really impair your circadian rhythm adjustment on the other end, wherever you're going and traveling. Mm -hmm. But for me, like that's the great resetter. And I, I like speaking of going off track, I do like live a, a quote unquote normal life where I have, you know, the, the processed food sometimes like, I mean, we all do and like I don't beat myself up about it I definitely grant myself grace and if I'm going to eat cookies or cake I'm going to make sure it's a good one and I enjoy it and I'm okay with it and it's not cheating it's planned for me and then I fast or then I like go back on my strict ketogenic diet or both but I definitely don't beat myself up over over it and I definitely don't fall off the wagon because of it where I just say screw it I'm just going to eat a bunch of junk now I'm just I've gotten to a point where I can have my cake and eat it like if I go to a wedding or something I'm going to have the cake but then I'm going to go right back on track and do fine you know and I do like uh, a cyclical ketogenic diet where I eat one day a week I have whatever I want and I have stuff maybe like pizza or 
you know, popcorn or whatever. I try and make it the healthier version of that. Um, you know, I go to better restaurants. I, I buy myself better version of, of the materials to start with or ingredients. But, you know, I enjoy foods that, that I grew up with. I don't try and cut them out of my life entirely because I don't think I could maintain this diet for as long as I have. Like I wouldn't be able to maintain the clean eating, the, the ketogenic diet, the intermittent fasting, all this for 20 years if I didn't allow myself some grace here and there. And ultimately, if you have, uh, you know, McDonald's every meal of, of the week and you have one salad, that isn't going to make you healthy. And the reverse is true. If you allow yourself that where you eat healthy 95% of the time and 5% of the time you have whatever makes your heart happy, then that's okay. But I've also found that like I have less and less of these, I don't even like the word cheat, is because like, you know, when you have something that isn't that great, you're like, that wasn't worth it. Yeah, you didn't feel great. So it's got to be good now. Like, I, like it's got to be like the six-layer chocolate cake that's like recommended and you can't like not have it because it's the signature dish at this restaurant. I'm going to have it. If it's the signature dish and I'm traveling and it's the best ever, you know, in France or wherever, I'm going to have that. It's okay. And so I got to enjoy life. And that's one thing that I've learned along the way. And that's part of that resilient mindset, too, that we were talking about is, is just bouncing back and allowing yourself grace. Like, it's okay in life. Like, we're our own worst enemy. We just beat ourselves up uh, relentlessly. So I think that's part of a healthy mindset. I absolutely agree. You might as well enjoy it and be guilt-free, um, 100%. Just before, I think that's a great thing to close on is, I guess, before you go, I'd love to just hear from you on that mental component. Like, are there practices that you do daily that help with that and keeping your mindset strong in terms of meditation or gratitude or journaling? Or what does it look like for you? Yeah, a couple things for me that have been uh, really massive. I've been doing the, the breath work, meditation, gratitude journaling. You don't need to do all this stuff at once. Just start with one thing and you'll notice a difference. For me, gratitude is probably the most impactful. Uh, there's 95% of your life is amazing and great. And you should be thankful for that. And the 5% that isn't so great, is what makes you stronger and makes you a better person, makes you have empathy and compassion for other people, helps you find your why, your purpose in life. I mean, if we didn't have adversity, we wouldn't have that inner strength and we wouldn't have that purpose. So that's a beautiful thing to be thankful for is all of it. I'm thankful for having suicidal thoughts, for being depressed most of my life, for being obese, for being bullied, for living in a, a chaotic home and, and struggling for years and, and being a workaholic and all the things that happen because I'm here now and it gives me my why. And I connect with people that are hurting physically and mentally. And otherwise I wouldn't. And so I'm blessed in that way. So that's been really important for me. And recently I've been doing a lot of deep self work. Um, you know, people talk about being authentic 
But it's hard to be authentic if you don't really know who you are and you're just a product of the people around you and the pressures around you. If you really can get to your aligned true self, that can be so powerful in how you feel day to day in your wellness. Like uh, that's been super impactful for me to do some therapy with uh, a lady that I work with does a Byron Katie style um, therapy. Uh, if you go to the work.com, you can, you can see how she works, but it's a, it's a lot of reframing essentially of, of traumatic memories. And that's been incredibly powerful for me that like a lot of these truths that I've held on to can get reframed and just, you know, sent away and I have no more power. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that is a game changer for me. And another one, I've been experimenting the last year or two with plant medicine journeys. We could probably do a whole show on that, but um, that has been impactful for me as well, because when you, again, getting to your true self, you can lift ego off you and you can get to like this just open heart. And when you when you feel that and you connect with people and you're truly your authentic self without fear of judgment, you can always connect back to that later. Like that becomes like a, a feeling and a memory that you can connect back to. And you say, that's where I want to be. That's my true normal. That's my authentic self. So that can be very powerful in growth and development. And I've actually been experimenting with, with microdose um, psilocybin at just 80 milligrams. It's far below perceptual levels. There's no experience to it, but it helps with... Um, Anxiety, one, but also uh, neuroplasticity and BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So you actually create more connections uh, in your brain and you're more neuroplastic. So that's, that's something I've been experimenting with as well and I've really enjoyed. Amazing. Wow. I love all that. What such a great close. Um, can you, where can people find you? Because I know you're very active on, on Instagram in particular, on social, but where can people find you? I think this is going to be a very downloaded episode. So can you share? Uh, well, yeah, I'd appreciate that. I have a lot of cited uh, guides that are free. I never charge for anything, any of the stuff I do. The stuff on Instagram is you can look up Sean Wells or uh, at Ingredientologist. I'm a scientist of ingredients, so Ingredientologist. But if you go to seanwells.com, uh, you can see all my guides. I have guides on fasting, fasting for women, keto, uh, all the immune supplements like vitamin C, uh, mushrooms, zinc, all that stuff is on my site and free. Uh, and I have newsletters that are, that are regular. I have videos as well on YouTube. So, um, yeah, you can find me everywhere. And you can ask me questions on, on any platform, and I answer people um, this is what I live for and, and I want to just help people because I've been in the dark places of despair and I've been hurting physically and, and I feel you. And I think one of the most important things that I would tell people is just literally this is the focus is grant yourself grace. You have been beating yourself down for too long and you are beautiful inside and out. You are as you were meant to be made and your purpose is in front of you and life is in front of you and just grant yourself grace and, and love yourself. I love that. It's so true. Thank you. 
thanks again. Thanks so much for sharing all that. That's a real gift that you've passed to people there. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, Angela. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.